Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 17th, 2022 from AT's dining room table. It's your dining room table, right? Kitchen table? We're here to talk about issues around the kitchen table with A.T. Shire. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. Oh, but what hasn't changed is the fair alert. And we are now at fair alert red, folks, because by the time you hear this, you will have a limited amount of time to come out and see us at the State Fair October 18th, 3.30 p.m. to 6 p.m., as CETV and South Carolina Public Radio will have a booth out there. We'll be right in front of the Rosewood Building, which is near the livestock. <laughs> Come feed us your favorite fair food, look at AT's foot, and chat with us. There will be swag, especially swag for lead folks. You're going to let us know that you're a lead head, and we'll give you maybe a pint glass of the good stuff. We look forward to it. Also, we have a new episode of South of Spooky that's out right now, The Lizard Man of Bishopville. It's live on our feed, and we'll have a new episode for you this Friday. Subscribe to South of Spooky, wherever you find the lead. Now, in this episode of The Lead, we feature a discussion with Associated Press reporter Jeffrey Collins about what the South Carolina Senate may do on Tuesday when they return to take up the abortion ban bill, the same bill the chamber sent to the Senate at the end of August, which the Senate rejected. We get the state of play on that, as well as the state Supreme Court hearing on the current abortion law on the books. We have new report cards for state schools that were released on Monday, and we hear from Superintendent of Education, Molly Spearman, about the first results in this later stage pandemic era. In business, state leaders are working together to electrify the state's infrastructure and business environment to make the state even more attractive to electric vehicle manufacturers and drivers. We also look at foreclosure data that has South Carolina in a precarious position. And in medical, we recap the latest on booster information for children and look at the start of flu season in our state. Also, we want to hear from y'all. Give us a shout on our voicemail at 803-563-7169. Let us know if you've gone to the fair, how you're celebrating fall, what you think of South of Spooky. If you have a ghost story for us or a tale that we should investigate, we would love to hear from you. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina, the spread of COVID-19 is low according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We'll have more information for you on COVID-19 from DHEC on Saturday's podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that the abortion debate in the state house over the past few months hasn't been a smooth process, even with Republicans controlling both chambers. However, in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on Dobbs that overturned nearly 50 years of abortion access precedent, not everyone is on board with such restrictive abortion language that has been proposed. This has led to a stalemate between the House, which is insisting on outlawing all abortions except for rape and incest up to 12 weeks and the life of the mother versus the Senate, which has passed a bill similar to the so-called fetal heartbeat law, currently being challenged before the state Supreme Court on Wednesday. That law would allow for abortions up to six weeks and up to 12 weeks for rape or incest, with reporting to the local sheriff, and abortions for fatal fetal anomaly and the life and health of the mother. The Senate meets Tuesday to decide whether to agree with the House version or reject it and go to conference committee. 
Maybe? Still don't know. However, Senate Republicans said the chamber can't muster enough votes to pass a version like the House's, and such efforts in conference committee would be futile. Still, we wait and watch. And that's why I spoke with Associated Press reporter Jeffrey Collins. He's been covering this issue for years and years. Here's Jeffrey talking with me on This Week in South Carolina. They just wanted to wait and see what the heartbeat ban would do, wait and see what happens in other places in the country, wait and see what happens maybe even with the South Carolina Supreme Court ruling. And in the end, they were able to stake their place. In fact, a lot of the anger involved in the House with the folks that wanted the total ban and are angry at the Senate is directed less towards the women, the, the Republican women of the Senate, but more towards Tom Davis for his role in filibustering. So, Jeffrey, like you said, it went back to the House after the Senate amended it, added those changes in there. The House voted not to concur with those changes, didn't agree with it, setting up a conference committee. Now we go back to the Senate next week. What's going to happen there? What's the future of this bill? Well, after the House decided to uh, not agree to the Senate's changes, um, within minutes of that vote, uh, Senate President Thomas Alexander sent out a statement where he said he was very disappointed that passing the bill was going to be almost impossible now, and it likely forecloses any changes in the abortion law this year. So take it at its face value. It seems like even though the Senate's going to come back on October 18th, that they're going to reject what the House did. And then Alexander has, Senator Alexander has a choice. He can either appoint three conference committee members or just let the bill go. And um, if he points to three conference committee members, that does keep the bill alive technically. But October 18th is three weeks away from Election Day. And the signee die, which allows the legislature to act in the special session, ends the Sunday after that. So a conference committee would have almost no time to negotiate. And then they'd have to bring back each chamber to vote. So, I mean, there's, there's a time crunch that almost precludes anything from happening at this point. Almost. Uh, it seems like a lot of work for us to get to this point and not have a definitive outcome. Uh, is that just because the, the personalities are just so big here? It's, it's such a divisive debate when it's something like this. I mean, you saw Democrats really taking advantage of these uh, Republicans who are in their different factions there to kind of essentially help kill this bill. I've heard this a lot from people that it's the dog that finally caught the car that, you know, in essence, all the abortion debates that we've had over the years in South Carolina, going back to last century, have been sort of in theory. Right. I mean, you know, we were trying to the legislature was trying to pass a bill that would cause the Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court to consider things, maybe roll back abortion you know, rights a little bit at a time. Well, now that the whole playing field is open since Roe versus Wade was overturned, suddenly whatever decision that got made in the General Assembly this year was going to stick and stick immediately. And I think, especially for some moderate Republicans, that got them to say, well, wait a second, are we there and ready for a total ban? And I think they also saw things happen like in Kansas where you know voters rejected what essentially would have given their legislature the ability to pass a total ban. You know, there's, there's also just the electoral atmosphere right now. I mean, obviously, I think there will be a lot of people paying close attention on November 8th to see where people stand. And that may determine whether or not we're having this debate again in 2023. But pivot to the Supreme Court first, Jeffrey. We have a few moments left here. Talk about this case of Planned Parenthood of South Atlantic and others challenging the current six-week abortion ban that's on our books right now. Uh, this this law, this law that was signed in early 2021, is winding its way through the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals when the Dobbs decision came out this summer. It was then dismissed, and then the six-week ban went into effect until about August 17th. Uh, what is the state of play involving this case and that hearing that's going to be before the Supreme Court next week in Columbia? 
that was perhaps the biggest surprise of all of this abortion stuff that happened over the summer and into the fall is that you know the, the South Carolina Supreme Court unanimously agreed to suspend. They didn't overturn it, but they said that South Carolina can enforce the heartbeat ban until they could hear this case. And essentially what it comes down to is it's a right to privacy. Um, the South Carolina Constitution has a right to privacy for people. And when they passed it in the 70s, it was uh, tied to Roe versus Wade. So when Roe versus Wade was overturned and knocked off the books, then there's a question about whether or not that right to privacy means that, you know, South Carolina lawmakers couldn't pass any additional abortion restrictions. And South Carolina senators said they solved that problem with some tweaks in it, but that isn't, doesn't look like it's going to get passed. So come uh, October 19th, the, the Supreme Court justices are going to hear that case. It'll probably be a couple of months before they rule. But if they do rule that this right of privacy exists in the heartbeat ban is unconstitutional, then that will throw a massive wrench not only into the abortion debate, but probably judicial elections and a bunch of other things. Catch that full show and all of our great content on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. We'll recap the legislative and Supreme Court action in Saturday's episode. Next up, the South Carolina Department of Education and the State Education Oversight Committee announced the 2022 school report cards Monday in Newberry County. This is the first time we've had report cards issued since 2019 due to the pandemic, and you can't forge your parents' signature on these ones, guys. Outgoing State Superintendent of Education Molly Spearman was on hand and gave an overview of what the report cards found. Statewide, 20.6% of schools in South Carolina received an overall rating of excellent on the 2022 report card, which is consistent with the 2019% of schools receiving the highest ranking in the state's accountability system. We also note that the percentage of students meeting or exceeding expectations on SC Ready increased English language arts, math, and again, confirming a strong recovery by our elementary and middle school students. On the high school level, this year's report cards show an increase and the number and percentage of high schools receiving excellent on the graduation rate indicators, which is significant given the number of students who did not return to classrooms when schools reopen. Although we are encouraged by some of the report card data and the quick rebound of schools amid the challenges brought about by the pandemic, we want to stress that we have real challenges to overcome and help all students reach college and career readiness. Among the concerns is a significant decrease in the number of high schools earning excellent ratings. A change reflected from the end of course results and other indicators for secondary school students. We also remain particularly focused on the widening gaps between the highest and lowest performing students on all levels. Spearman said those learning gaps were a result of not all students having the same access to resources like the internet during the pandemic. That's something we were just talking about last week with the expansion of broadband connectivity in the state. Now these report cards give educators and others an idea of how things are going and where improvements are needed. And there are initiatives underway right now to fuel better education outcomes especially for students who want to enter the workforce directly from high school. 
to fill workforce gaps and grow dual credit opportunities for students, our department and the South Carolina Technical College System announced a three-year, $11.5 million partnership in February that will grow and expand career and technical education programs, adult education programs, and provide scholarships to high-demand technical college programs in response to the pandemic. These initiatives represent a small part of the work by our, our agency and others and will continue to partner and strategize to prompt sustained growth and recovery for students. As for lower performing schools, additional resources are deployed to help improve scores. That includes a range of support from the state, including full-time learning coaches that are sent to schools as well as professional development for teachers. One of the most important roles for the department agency is to go out and support those areas where uh, additional support is given. There's some areas of the state that have extensive resources that they can provide additional help to students and to teachers, but where that's not available, certainly the state needs to go in. So it will be a top priority. We will continue. I'm sure the when I when I took office in 2015, January 2015, we only had two people in the office to really go out and, and assist. So we have built up a large cadre of uh, coaches, well-trained coaches to go and be on the ground helping, as well as the other professional development uh, areas that I mentioned, the letters training. That's another thing that we're doing for schools of priority, where the reading scores, literacy scores, are not showing progress, are not at the level. We're giving this, um, this very intense professional development to those teachers, and we're already beginning to see signs of improvement in those schools. So um, that will continue. I'm, I'm sure the next state superintendent will follow that, and I hope we'll bring even more ideas uh, to the table. Now, there will be plenty of talk about that during the state superintendent of education debate on SCETV November 2nd between Democrat Lisa Ellis and Republican Ellen Weaver as they vie to replace Spearman, who is retiring. And early voting starts next week, folks. That's right. Early voting starts Monday at 8.30 a.m. through 6 p.m. This goes on through Saturday, November 5th. Locations will be closed Sunday, October 30th. And every county has at least one early voting location that you can find on scvotes.org. And on the way out, WCBD in Charleston is hosting the only first congressional district debate on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Now, SCETV tried to secure a debate with the candidates, but Congresswoman Nancy Mace declined due to SCETV's partnership with the Post and Courier. So instead, count on two. Also a note, it's been brought to my attention that I incorrectly introduced Democratic Lieutenant Governor candidate Tally Casey at the 7 minute 20 second mark in our previous podcast. It was actually Republican incumbent Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett. We regret the error. Pop quiz hotshot, how many automotive companies and auto workers are in our state? You know? Take a guess. If you're in your car, you better know, or the car might shut off. There are 500 automotive companies and 72,000 auto workers in South Carolina. The result is a $27 billion impact for our state, according to the Department of Commerce. And while automakers continue to pivot to electric vehicles and more folks drive them, 
there is also a greater need for charging infrastructure in our state. This prompted the state's first ever electric vehicle summit last week in Greenville and Governor Henry McMaster signing an executive order to streamline EV economic development and infrastructure deployment. Here's McMaster listing off just a sample of current EV goals for automakers in the state. We know that BMW is planning to be about 50% electric by 2030. Proterra right here is already making electric buses. Volvo it will plan to be 100% electric, electric by 2030. A Polestar in Berkeley next year will be producing vehicles there. Mercedes by 2023 and Oshkosh Defense uh, very soon. And so, the, and we've had a $20 billion investment, capital investment in South Carolina and primarily in manufacturing since 2017. So we are, we are really moving and moving fast. We, we, have the, we have the team ready, we have the assets and we're putting it all together to add this new area of great innovation and progress to what is going to be a new era of economic prosperity in South Carolina for all of our people. There will be an electric vehicle coordinator in the state as well to serve as a one-stop shop and be a point of contact for all electric vehicle-related issues and help companies looking to invest or grow in the state. The Department of Transportation will also be one of seven agencies that comprise the working group that is focused on developing a plan for strategically placing electric vehicle charging infrastructure on South Carolina's interstates and roadways. SCDOT Secretary Christy Hall said $70 million is coming to the state via the bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed last year. Infrastructure Week continues, folks. Now, EV charging infrastructure at this junction will be focused on rural areas along interstates. Here's Secretary Hall. Yeah, so the $70 million is uh, coming via the, uh, the, uh, the recently passed Federal uh, Reauthorization Act. It's part of a bigger package that came to the state to fund infrastructure. There's other grant programs that are also being authorized at the federal level uh, to complement not only the EV infrastructure piece that we're working on, but uh, public facilities, um, some other grant opportunities, especially on the transit side, which is obviously important to a state like ours, especially with Proterra being in the state and a lot of our public transit entities moving over to electric. So there's other opportunities at the federal level. Um, some of the state funding that's uh, directed towards the state DOT and other partners that's uh, not the gas tax but other components of the funding will we'll look to leverage a little bit of that to make the match as required as well as looking for opportunities from our local partners uh, for matching funds. So uh, this I believe is as the governor has mentioned and others have mentioned this is the start of something very big for our, our entire state. Next up, Adam, a leading curator of real estate data nationwide for land and property data, released its third quarter 2022 U.S. foreclosure market report, which shows there were a total of 92,634 U.S. properties with foreclosure filings. That includes default notices, scheduled auctions, or bank repos, and that's up 3% from the previous quarter and 104% from a year ago. That report also shows that there were a total of 31,836 U.S. properties with foreclosure filings in September alone, which is up 62% from September 2021. Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President of Market Intelligence for Adams, said, quote, Foreclosure starts while rising since the end of the government's foreclosure moratorium still lagging behind pre-pandemic levels. 
Foreclosure activity is reflecting other aspects of the economy as unemployment rates continue to be historically low and mortgage delinquency rates are lower than they were before the COVID-19 outbreak, end quote. States with the highest foreclosure rates in the third quarter of 2022 were Illinois, Delaware, New Jersey, AT, and South Carolina, with one out of every 971 housing units. Among 223 metropolitan statistical areas analyzed in the report, out of those with the highest foreclosure rates in the third quarter of 2022, Columbia came in fourth, with one in every 599 housing units having a foreclosure filing. So again, Shagra said very few of the properties entering the foreclosure process have reverted to the lender at the end of the foreclosure. In fact, nearly three times more homes were repossessed by lenders in the second quarter of 2019 than in the second quarter of 2022. He says, we believe that this may be an indication that borrowers are leveraging their equity and selling their homes rather than risking the loss of their equity in a foreclosure auction. So a lot of movements there in the housing market, especially as we see these interest rates raise and mortgage rates also going up. On October 14th, DHEC reported the state's first influenza-associated death of the season. It was a person from the Midlands. DHEC said the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend that everyone six months of age and older get the flu shot. The agency notes that preventing the flu is particularly important for people who are at increased risk of complications from the virus, including young children, pregnant women, people 65 and older, and those with chronic health conditions like asthma, diabetes, or heart or lung disease. However, healthy people also can have serious complications from the flu. While the flu can circulate any time of year, for surveillance purposes, the flu season begins October 1st. And so far, there have been 788 lab-confirmed cases of the flu and 33 flu-related hospitalizations in the state. And that was just in the first week. Dr. Brandon Traxer, DHEC Public Director of Health, said in a statement that there is the potential for a severe flu season in South Carolina and nationally based on what we've seen in the Southern Hemisphere. Hmm. So use the same preventative methods that protect against COVID-19, like masks, vaccinating, frequent hand washing, wash those hands, folks, and staying home or away from others while sick. Just stay home. Now, just so you know, it takes about two weeks for the body's immune system to respond for full protection after getting your flu shot. It's important to get vaccinated as early as possible to be fully protected. Now, I will be getting my flu shot and COVID booster very soon, folks. I'll let you know. Speaking of boosters, the Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security writes that U.S. health regulators on October 12th authorized the updated SARS-CoV-2 bivalent vaccine boosters for children as young as five years old. Specifically, the booster from Pfizer-BioNTech is now available for children aged 5 through 11, and the shot from Moderna is authorized for children and adolescents aged 6 through 17. Now, these booster shots target the original virus and the currently predominant Omicron BA.5 and BA.4 sublineages, and they're available to anyone age 5 or older who completed their two-dose primary series at least two months prior. U.S. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky signed off last Wednesday on the updated bivalent COVID boosters for children shortly after the U.S. FDA issued its authorization. Now, these new formulations will help bolster antibodies that have waned since prior vaccination or infection while targeting newer variants that are more transmissible and immune-evasive. 
And this is particularly important since children are back to in-person schooling and as the U.S. heads into a busy holiday season and flu season. Now, experts hope that the new booster formulation will renew interest in getting children vaccinated before an expected fall and winter surge in cases. Because as of September 28th, only 15.2% of children aged 5 through 12 years old have received a first booster dose, according to the CDC. U.S. regulators say that there are no safety concerns for the bivalent vaccines, and they stress that vaccination is one of the best ways to keep children healthy and in school. Currently, no bivalent vaccines are approved for children under 5. However, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech are expected to have data available later this year. And on the way out, vaccination continues to be the best way to protect against severe disease and hospitalization from COVID-19. And all eligible individuals are recommended to receive a bivalent booster dose as soon as possible. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic, and of course, we want to hear how you're doing as well. That's why we have a voicemail box set up at 803-563-7169, where you can tell us what's happening in your world. It's fall. We're like halfway through October. Things just keep on trucking along. <laughs> we're not too far from daylight savings time being over. Mm-hmm. And um, you're the dreading sadness it. You're will, dreading it. The sadness will creep. <laughs> You'll hear it in my voice, dear listener. I, I hope Meg Kennard is happy that fall is doing this Yeah, together. are you happy, Meg? This is the fall you wanted. This is what you wanted. Miss loves daylight savings time. Ugh. <laughs> never, never doesn't even drink pumpkin spice lattes. Ugh, it's disgusting, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not natural. It ain't right. I mean, my doctor tells me to drink five or six a day. So. <laughs> <laughs> my doctor sponsored by Starbucks. So, I don't Dr. Know, Star, that... last name Buck. Uh, Buck? Buck Star? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Is there a doctor Buck Star? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We've been filming too much. Filming. We've been taping too much stuff. Yeah, we've been writing too much. We've been writing too many scripts. Too many quippy scripts. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we do. The best thing about this fall, folks, is that Uh, I'm going to lay it on you. The best thing about it is that you guys have been doing your duty, calling the hopper so much so that you're forcing our hand into these double dips. Yes, which I'm never going to complain about. I say keep going. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you here. I'm gonna challenge. Force me into a triple dip. <laughs> I bet you can't. I bet you can't. Okay? We have too many. We have to triple dip. I dare you to force me into a triple dip. Okay. I did a quad dip. It was great. Everyone loved it. We got a, a lot. Quad dip. Everyone yeah. is saying they loved it. Anyway, Gavin, are you ready for this initial dip? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Get ready. Hey, Gavin AT. It's your good buddy CJ. I'm just crossing back over into God's country from a trip to Georgia for my high school homecoming this weekend, um, but wanted to drop in, was listening to the podcast on the way home, and wanted to first congratulate AP on his advance to the NLCS over my defending world champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, also, good job on the Birds being possibly the best team in the NFL right now, um, but just wanted to say uh, I may try and see y'all at the fair on Tuesday. Uh, love to get a look at that foot. We are tugging right along, chasing kids, and having a good time. We'll talk to you later. Bye. CJ, thanks for calling us as you arrived back in the Palmetto State. It's always a great mm. time crossing into the state. Usually I'm passing 
on 95. So I'm coming south of the border. You get blessed mm-hmm. by the sombrero. You know you're yes. back. Um, I did that this weekend. We can talk about that. I'm going to be going back up this weekend mm. for a wedding. It's 95 live, folks. But yes, yeah, CJ, Disgusting. thank you. We hope you will see us at the fair. Yes. 3.30 to 6 p.m. October 18th. We're near the livestock. Uh, you're going to smell us before gonna, you see you're us. You're going to smell us before you see us. Yes. And the, the livestock, they smell fine. It will be us. It will be the foot. Yeah, it'll be the foot. the foot. The foot is hard to wash. There is It, it is ashen and it smells... Uh, you can touch it. You can smell it. It is okay. That's why I'm there. Okay. <laughs> Get your picture with AT's busted foot. Uh, uh, also, um, uh, yes, CJ. Uh, the the Eagles did beat the Cowboys last night. I'm just gonna get that in there. Go wow. birds, go birds. Wow, wow. <laughs> the Phillies did beat the Braves. This is a, this was an unreal Philly sports weekend, and uh. this is all I'm gonna talk about. I'm not gonna talk anymore about it. Just go birds and all. And anyway, so when we are at the fair, we are gonna be looking for if you have a good ghost story. Mm. Hey, why don't you come? Why don't you come tell it to us? Okay, we're microphones. We're gonna have a whole setup there, folks. It's gonna be very minimal. It's not gonna. It's we're gonna have a it's table. It's gonna be a whole recording. It's suite. gonna be a little table, uh, my foot, and then a little zoomy zoom. Anyway, we're gonna be looking for stories like this next call. Which is perfect. Oh. What a good transition. It's like Gavin and I planned this. Did we plan this? No. <laughs> anyway, uh, here we go, Gavin. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay, here we go. Hey, Gavin and AT. This is correspondent Kevin. Happy fall, y'all. I just want to say, uh, just listen to the South of Spooky podcast. Very well done. Very good. Look forward to more of them. It inspired me to call in with my own South Carolina ghost story. It occurred sometime after 2010 in what I call my parents' new house because we moved there in 2010. It was the middle of the night. I was roughly 11 or 12 years old, and I walked down a dark stairway, dark home, down to get a glass of water, midnight thirst. And so as I'm walking back up the stairs, there's a little foyer landing next to the stairs, and I look down. And there's a black shadow of a small dog. I don't really think anything of it because my parents have always kept small dogs my entire life. And so being in the middle of the night, sleepy, just wanting some water, I walk back upstairs thinking nothing of it. And then as I walking up the stairs, I just coincidentally like hear the dog, my parents' dog, and it's in their room where it usually sleeps. I walk in and wake up my parents and tell them there's a dog downstairs or the dog's downstairs, I should say. And they said, no, he's right here. And so, yeah, sure enough, the dog was in the bed with them. Well, at the time, we only had one dog. So what did I see down at the bottom of the stairs? I don't know. Dreams, fictitious imagination, wild imagination, whatever 11, 12-year-old would have. But... To this day, there was only one dog in that house. One was accounted for. What was at the bottom of the stairs? And to this day, I keep a bottle of water or a glass of water next to my bed because I don't have time to go down in the middle of the night and experience the paranormal. Anyway, that's my South Carolina ghost story. I have others. If there's ever the time to share them, y'all have a good fall and look forward to Halloween. Thank y'all. Correspondent Kevin, thanks for calling. Glad to hear that all's well in this home that he's calling from, but sounds like a different story, Ben, is <laughs> his homestead. 
Uh, thanks for the SOS compliments. That is certainly a spooky story, especially as a 12-year-old. That would freak me out, I can tell you that. Yeah, that does sound spooky, but uh, I and I, I also like Kevin speaking up for ghost animals here, mm. okay? Pet cemetery. Exactly. So we get a lot of we get a lot of ghost people. I'm always like, where are the ghost animals? Where are the ghost cavemen? Why do all ghosts speak English? These are my oh, yeah. questions. You know bonjour, what I mean? Bonjour, baby. Yeah, bonjour, Mr. <laughs> Elosa Spooky Boy. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was, I was asking you, Tim, like, I don't think I've ever really had a spooky interaction like that. But then, of course. Well, there's that. that we, you did. We did have uh, one. Well, let's, not, let's not spoil it. Because we have a, our last episode of South of Spooky. We'll, we'll knock your socks off. There, there may or may not be some unexplainable thing that happens but you will have to listen that's okay? a tease this is one of the hardest teases we've ever yeah given. you may have to you may have to keep You're listening to, to these listen. to see if anything comes of it so uh you can't just listen to the last episode you exactly. have to listen to all of them in succession how will you unlock. how will you know what's going on if you don't listen to all the other episodes <laughs> they're all self-contained however yeah, sorry as however uh oh, and, and also thank you to roman for giving us a nice review on the south of spooky Pods. oh yeah he sent us a great uh text too i don't have time to read it just because of the double dip the here. double dip I will read it in a future time, Roman. Do not worry. I want to thank everyone for calling. I'm going to encourage you to keep calling, and I will challenge you again. Force me, okay? Challenge I bet you can't do it. I bet you can't do it, okay? (laughs) See what I work with? This is how he motivates me, folks. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a real... I I, I neg constantly. And it works. Look how great this podcast is doing. Oh, my God. I can do this by myself. Anyway. Anyway. Have a good week. gave me this podcast. (laughs) See us at the fair. Look at my foot. Come look at the foot. Be like Kevin. Be like CJ. CJ might come see us. We'd love to see both of you, but we love hearing from you guys too. That's why you can call us 803-563-7169. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and that's where you can also subscribe to South of Spooky. Stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, and don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I am human. Do not worry. Help I am us human. Reach human goal. <laughs> Your human money means nothing to me. <laughs> I need Bitcoin to live.